Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Movie Attic Headquarters with your host, Betty Jo Tucker, author of Confessions of a Movie Attic, right here at www.blogtalkradio.com. Hi, all you movie fans out there. Thanks so much for tuning in to Movie Attic Headquarters. You don't have to be a movie addict to visit here, but if you are one, it's definitely the place for you. I'm your host, Betty Jo Tucker, speaking to you during this second week of April 2011 and feeling very excited about our show today, folks. With us to discuss his work in the very inspirational film Soul Surfer is actor, musician, and philanthropist Ross Thomas, who will also talk about his other movies and television roles, I hope. Welcome to Movie Attic Headquarters, Ross. Hey, it's so nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, we're so glad that you are here. You know, Ross, I saw Soul Surfer last Friday. I think I was the first one in line when the box office opened up. And I haven't been able to stop thinking about it. It's such a wonderful movie, and we have lots of questions for you. But first, let's see if our co-host, Jazz Shaw, is ready to help with the show. Jazz, say hi to Ross. Hey, Ross, and yes, I am ready, and well, just barely anyway, but we're all here on time. <laughs> all right, Jazz. <laughs> Great. We're happy about that. Now, uh, Demos Yanikos is helping us today. Uh, Nikki couldn't be here, but um, I was wondering if the chat room is open. Um, are you in the chat uh, room now, Jazz? Nope, still not. I'm getting shut out. Sorry about that. Maybe it's probably uh, – Demos tells me that uh, – you know, things are working fine, everybody's in there, it's probably just my connection, and I apologize for that. Well, sometimes um, sometimes that happens, but uh, I'm sure that everything will, will work out, and we really do appreciate uh, the people who have signed up for the chat and Demos for helping us out, and we appreciate our other listeners, and we always appreciate you, Jazz, for being here to co-host, and I was wondering if you would like to start out by uh, telling Ross what you would like to know about the movie Soul Surfer. Well, pretty much everything, but that's probably a bit too general, Ross. <laughs> 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 why, why don't Why don't we start with, um, you know, uh, what was what was what you were attracted to about this project, and uh, and, and how did you get ready for it? You know, so a little bit of the background before you jumped into actually doing it. Sure. Well, I mean, first and foremost, um, the opportunity to, to be a part of such an important story, one that is so incredibly influential and profound. You know, I had known about Bethany Hamilton since the shark attack happened to her in, in 2003 and, mm. you know, had been following her progress and her, her professional career in, in the aftermath of that Um you know, and and she has become somewhat of an, an international icon and a source of inspiration for for millions of people all over the world. So, so to be a part of bringing her story to cinema was an honor and something I'm I'm really proud of. Um, 
you know, I had worked with Sean McNamara, the director of Soul Surfer, um, on a few projects prior to Soul Surfer. Um, one being, <clears throat> excuse me, Beyond the Break, which also dealt with yes. the world of surfing. And um, coincidentally, that, that also shot on the island of Oahu. Um, so I, you know, I love to surf. Um, I love the tropical climates. So, you know, I, I felt like I definitely hit the jackpot there twice in a row. Um, you know, not to mention working with the Hawaiian people and the aloha spirit that comes along with that. It's, it's truly a, a beautiful place to, to call the office. So uh, Sean had sort of told me about the possibility of bringing Bethany's story to the screen um, all the way back in 2007 when we were working on Beyond the Break, and I was uh, very intrigued by the, the idea and, of course, told him, you know, if there was a part ever um, – for me in the project to, to please consider me. Um, and all these years later, it, it came to fruition, and I got the call that I was going to be reading for uh, Bethany's older brother, Noah, and went in and auditioned, and they sent the tape out to Hawaii where the producers were, and I found out I got the part. Oh, so, that, um, that, that's, a, that's a great lead-in, by the way, because I, I, I did also want to know, uh, I, I also followed the story myself, uh, in the news as it was happening, it was it was pretty horrific. It kind of captivated the entire nation. But can you tell us just a little bit, without giving everything away, about your character and her relationship uh, to to Noah, and you know what what sort of a role do, does that play, both in real life and in the film? Sure. Well, Noah is the eldest of the three Hamilton siblings, um, and he he really takes that role seriously being the firstborn he's always been a natural leader you know he prides himself in setting a, a good example for both his, his sister and his brother and one of the interesting things that i find about noah is that he forewent a, a surfing career for himself and chose rather to help nurture that of his sister's career and i asked him about that when i had the chance to meet him and he said you know, he said he just knew from the beginning that his sister had the gift. He and everyone else could see it in her, and she she was going to be a pro, you know. So he really helps her tap into that and, and hone her skills um, throughout, you know, when since they were kids um, all the way to present day. And when the attack happened, Noah, along with the whole family, was devastated because, you know, they all felt like, Bethany, Noah's sister, would, would never be able to do what she loved so passionately again. But, you know, with Bethany's sheer will and, and determination, you know, her spirit is infectious, and that soon, you know, carried over to the whole family. And, and you know, after under a month's time of the incident happening, uh, the family was already out in the water with Bethany, you know, training her and helping her get back on the board and, and once a month. Once again, yeah, she was, it was about just under a month's time, and she literally—I um, don't even think she had fully had all the stitches out yet when she was back on the board. So, pretty remarkable. Holy cow! I know yeah, uh, that story, she, that film. Oh, as I mentioned to you bef before the show started, uh, Ross, I'm not a, a fan of uh, surfing. And I'm, I'm not too much of a fan of sentimental movies. So I went into the 
film last Friday, thinking I'm not, you know, I'm I'm going to see it because Ross is in it. <laughs> but you know, and I'll sit through it. But it blew me away. It just was such a beautiful, inspirational film. And the you mentioned Sean McNamara, and I think he did a beautiful job of directing that film. Everything about that film, the family, the the close knit family. The uh, the theme of the movie, the message of courage, uh, the role model <laughs> provided to all of us by Bethany, the gorgeous cinematography. It just, uh, I, I, it really was a, a fabulous film, and and I think you did a you did a wonderful job in the in the role that you played. My favorite scene is here is this guy that seems to be kind of laid back and you know, sort of dedicated to his sister and uh, a brother like anybody would want to have, and then turns completely when when these uh, reporters, all these reporters come to the house when she gets out of the <laughs> hospital, I think, at first, and you were just like a cheetah <laughs> up from, or, a, or an angry lion, you know, just jumping up and... Uh, and what were you going to do? With, uh, you were going to uh, hose them down, yeah, were you? Yeah, I was going to hose them down. That's right. Yeah, I was going to give them all the work to get out of there. Yeah, you know, well, you know what's, interest, what's interesting is, you know, in in times of, of tragedy like that, you know, uh, families are, are really tested, you know, and everyone's emotions are, are on the surface, and, and you know, with Noah, you see, and and you know, a scene before that, you know, in the, in the hospital where they kind of has a, a blow up at the table with uh, with my father, with Dennis Quaid. You know, you really see um, that emotion coming through, and you see that um, that instinct of of the protective older brother. And and like you're referencing that scene with the media, I think initially, I mean, Kauai is such a small island. You know, it's it's a it's a place that's still very rural in a, in, a, in in a lot of parts of it and this this family had you know had their roots there and all of a sudden you know a, a world that seemed you know as small as the island all of a sudden Bethany is in the international spotlight and garnering so much attention from everyone and, and really uh, you know having the media frenzy up close and personal in all the families face and and for Noah that was particularly difficult to deal with at first because he had that instinct to, to shelter uh, his sister and, and keep her away from them but you know that came through loud and clear and you, the performances by everybody I mean uh, they just made us care you know of course uh, Anna Sophia Robb, isn't that her, that her name, who played uh, Bethany, name, yeah. who was in uh, Bridge to Terabithi. Of course, she was wonderful in, in that part. But everybody, you mentioned Dennis Quaid as your father, Helen Hunt. Um, just really excellent. And Kevin Sorbo, uh, he was in a, uh, quite a few scenes and, and did a yeah. Mr. Hercules and did a <laughs> great job. So, uh what was it like working with with um, with that cast? It was fantastic. They, you know, the casting directors, Billy Paul Jensen, um, along with all the filmmakers, really assembled a talented 
that group of people, you know, all the way around, the actors, but, you know, the, everyone involved in making this film. Um, it's, you know, what's great is you see it, it's, it's almost a large ensemble in some ways as well. You have all of these cameo parts. I mean, even Craig T. T. Nelson, you know, cameoed in this yeah. uh, to play the, to play Dr. Ravinsky. And to me, what that shows is that so many people um, believe in what this story is about and believe in what Bethany Hamilton's message is and really wanted to be a part of this film on any possible level they could. You listen to Dennis Quaid talking in interviews and stuff, and he had been on the Today Show um, when they were doing a segment on Bethany Hamilton, and he was moved to tears, literally, um, on the Today Show. Uh, and, you know, he hadn't known about her story prior. And coincidentally, you know, sometime later, a couple weeks later or so, uh, he was offered the part. And, of course, he, you know, he jumped at the opportunity like all of us did to come be a part of this such a special story um and then for me you know really having the opportunity to work with actors of that caliber you know award-winning actors who i, who I grew up watching um it was it was a it was a true pleasure it was really fantastic i'm always jealous when you mentioned work with helen hunt i have to say <laughs> Yes, yes, and Dennis Quaid, as you mentioned, he um, his interview. Someone told me that he said that this is the first movie that he ever accepted without reading the script. Just he accepted it just when he he knew it was going to be about Bethany Hamilton. So exactly. he did jump at exactly. the fence. Yep. I'm sorry, Jazz. I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. Oh no, no. I was I'm sorry. I was just adding the comment you mentioned what a uh, eclectic cast it was and so many so many big names and uh I I'm always thrilled to see Helen Hunt come back and you know and, and doing more work cuz I've always respected her work. Oh, she's one of my favorite uh, actresses. Well, I hope we've convinced the the listeners who haven't seen Soul Surfer to be sure and see it and I really believe Ross, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this that uh, this is one of those films that you won't want to wait for the DVD because of the the cinematography of, of oh, the, the surfing. Now, you know something about surfing, so is, am I correct in that? The cinematography in this movie is stunning. It is so beautiful, and like you said, you want to get the up-close and, and personal experience. You want to see it on the big screen because it's so captivating. It draws you in. So much, you know, blue water and, and the underwater photography. That's yeah. some of the best underwater cinematographers in the business. A part of this movie, Don King being one of them, who has shot so many amazing films and and been a part of so much underwater photography that they. This movie is. You, I agree with you. I would go see it in the theaters without a doubt. Right, on definitely on the on the big screen. Well, is there anything else you'd like to mention about this movie before we moved on to um, uh, another film of yours, another film or two of yours? But I don't want to leave Soul Surfer if there's something else you'd like to mention about it. You know, I think we really we covered the bases without giving too much away. Um, I, I just say, you know, I would just leave it saying that I think. Um, this is a movie that you're really going to walk out of the theater feeling good about not only yourself, but about life and inspired. 
And I had the opportunity recently to to go up north in Northern California, where I'm from, and uh, take my family and and my family friends, and you know, just everyone walked out of there with with a sense of of great, you know, feeling and and inspiration. So it's one of those films that, that with everything going on in the world today. Uh, it's one of those films that you can really that will really put a smile on your face. So I, I hope everyone gets the chance to go see it. Well said, and I agree with everything that you that you've said about it. Uh, the only thing that I left out that I wanted to mention was that the the young actress who played Bethany's best friend was was excellent, and the scenes of with those two together were delightful. Who is that? Young actress, that is, do you know? That is that is Lorraine Nicholson, the daughter of the infamous Jack Nicholson. Oh my and gosh! She, <laughs> yep, that is Lorraine Nicholson. She's got, she's got acting in her blood. <laughs> she she was, does, she doesn't she? They, Absolutely. They really, they really, they really had great chemistry together. Um, and what's what's really neat is you see the. Um, you know, the real-life Bethany Hamilton and the real-life Alana Blanchard, who Lorraine plays, and, um, you know, their chemistry is palpable. And then you see uh, Anna Sophia and Lorraine, and it's, you know, it's pretty spot-on. So they, they really nailed that. Absolutely. Well, I I want to turn now to uh, two films that I liked very much <laughs> that you were in, and they're quite, quite different from uh, Soul Surfer. But um, I, I'm so eager to ask you about them. And, and the first one is, because I'm a, f- a figure skating fan, is The Cutting Edge, <laughs> Going for the Gold. And there you were, on, uh, there you were doing some, <laughs> some figure skating. And I'm, I wanted you to tell us about that. Are, are, had you done much ice skating? And what was your challenge there of doing those figure skating numbers that, that looked so great on the screen? Sure, yeah. You know, and and the, the original Cutting Edge is you know one of those cult favorites. So I felt like you know coming into this, there was definitely big shoes to fill there. You know, being being sort of the new DB Sweeney character in this. Um, I right. had I had played a little ice hockey growing up. Nothing crazy. You know, Northern California is not big on ice hockey, but but it you know I wasn't Bambi on ice. I could hold my own on the ice, and then I. You know, when I was about 11 years old, I convinced my mom to uh, to let me have a half pipe built in my backyard, and mm-hmm. you know, she probably thought that I was going to end up really hurting myself. But I I got pretty good on this thing on on rollerblades, and you know, and then all these years later, I get cast as a guy who's you know a progressive um, freestyle ramp you know rollerblader who then is turned figure skater in the story of, of the cutting edge. So that was a, a great opportunity for me because I actually got to do a lot of my own stunts with the stuff on the rollerblades. Yeah. Um, uh, and, but then, you know, and then when the story shifts and Christy Carlson Romano's character, uh, you know, brings me into the world of, of figure skating, that's when it became quite challenging. And I have to say the biggest challenge is probably the finesse, you know, figure skating demand mm-hmm. such discipline when it comes to form. Just because you, you ice skate or, or play hockey does not mean you're Elvis Stoico, you know. I mean, these <laughs> athletes train religiously year-round, and it is serious 
tedious training. And a lot of what the judges are scoring on is the poise of your body. You know, if your leg is slightly off, you get docked points. So I'd say that was the biggest challenge, attempting to uh, perfect the form on ice so that so that we could believably uh, be come off as like, uh, that we were in the Olympics, which in the story we, we ended up going to the Olympics and winning. Um, and, of course, we had stunt doubles for a lot of the tricks, but... I mean, there was a good portion of that film that we were actually doing our own stuff on ice. I thought so. Yeah, and it looked, and it did look good. And one of my favorite scenes in that movie is where you're just starting out to kind of uh, rush up on the skating, and well, the figure skating, and you and you go to this this class where there's a class for for uh, little kids. <laughs> <laughs> and there you were, you were. <laughs> That was that was just delightful. So was were those uh, Hollywood kids, or or was that just a regular skating rink that had a class and and uh, and the and the director sort of sort of said, "Come on, we're doing this this scene. Would you want to be in the scene?" Or was that all set up? Yeah, you know, we were we were filming a lot of uh, a lot of that ice skating stuff at a a rink um, up near. Ventura, if I can remember correctly, and you know, it, it was actually a, a place where there was a lot of um, training going on already for competitive ice skating uh, for all ages. So, if I can remember correctly, I think that those little girls were in fact ice skaters and and were in fact, you know, uh, training to to one day compete, even at such a young age. And it just so happened that it worked that they'd be great for you know, for that scene, and, and I'm I'm sure Sean, um, you know, charmed the parents, and uh, it, it was such a sweet scene, and, and really funny and cute, and... Um, they were getting uh, such a kick out of you. <laughs> they were, and it's, you know, that's such authentic acting going on there, you know, kids are amazing on screen, because what you see is what you get, and that's, you know, there's they're just so spot on, and so funny, it was great. Well, that's another movie that I'd like to recommend for uh, the listeners, um, and it is out on DVD. So I hope I hope people who haven't seen it will check on that. And then just quickly, because uh, Dance Flick is one of my all-time favorite funny films, and I noticed that you were you were in that. And I um, it's been a long time since I've seen it, so I can't remember. The part that you played in that, could you tell us and and whether what was fun about working with the Wayans brothers? Sure, sure, sure. That you know, I was parodying uh, Channing Tatum from the movie Step oh. Up. And yeah. So that, that was. Oh really right. Um, those guys are a crack up. Oh man, I grew up watching them Living Color, and I've I've been a big fan of the Wayans brothers. They they always seemed like so much fun. I finally got the opportunity to work with them, and it was oh, it was a kick. Um, you know, the the fun on that set was never ending. The whole movie felt like a big party. You know, you come to work every day, and there's music blasting and dancing, and everyone's laughing. And you know, the Wayans are such a big family that you know everyone in every department it seemed like was was a Wayans. You know, on some on some level, uh, so it was really great to to have that familial sort of uh, energy on on this set. I mean, um, I, I'd say you know a lot of the a lot of the stuff behind the scenes too, the stuff that you 
you know, stay on camera was a lot of fun too because you were working with professional dancers, some of the best dancers in in the business. Um, oh. And even though that this, even though this was a big spoof comedy, there was still some pretty amazing dancing sequences in this movie, and they really brought oh, sure. the best in, in the game into this. So at lunchtime, you know. On a normal movie set, a lot of people go back to their trailer and eat their food and kind of rest a little bit. But no, in this movie, you know, as soon as they called it, called lunch, everyone would pile out to the parking lot. Someone would kick the speakers on in their car or a boombox. And all these different dancers would circle around and have these giant dance battle scenes just for the sheer oh. love of it. So it was, it was a riot. <laughs> getting to see that up close and being a part of that, you know, just that raw, intense, amazing dance culture and, and seeing that up, up front. It was really great. Oh. What, what fun, what fun that, that was. I'm going to have to see Dance Flick again so that I can, I can catch your, 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 your part in there. Well, Jazz, I'm so sorry I've been monopolizing, so, so go ahead. I know you have some more questions. Well, I, I was just busy putting dance like on my Netflix queue while you were talking. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this, this sounds like it goes back a ways. You didn't just start this yesterday, Ross. Um, uh, Betty Joe has a lot of listeners who uh, who are either in the business, interested in the background, or hoping to get into it. Um, take us back a little bit. How did you uh, How did you first get into the uh, into show business? How did you become interested in becoming an actor? What what made you choose that career path? Well, you know, I've always been intrigued by actors for, for as long as, as I can remember. I was one of those kids who took every opportunity he could to, you know, ham it up in the spotlight. I loved watching <laughs> movies. I loved watching old John Wayne movies and spaghetti westerns. Um, and, you know, I was, I had a big imagination. My imagination would just run wild and I'd always be you know, I'd feel like I'd be vicariously, you know, riding my horse next to next to Clint and I just knew, you know, one day I would do that for real. Um and then I and then I really in, enjoyed going to the theater. I grew up near San Francisco, so my parents used to take me to the Orpheum Theater in San Francisco when Broadway shows would come to come to town and I'd just be absolutely awestruck by what the actors were doing on stage and you know being able to move people emotionally was so exciting to me i thought wow this you know this is a unique art form because you are the instrument you know you have to dig deep within to play the chords and play them believably and i i just felt that that i could do that and and that i could tap into that um and so I began to pursue it, and even as a little kid, I would uh, on the weekends I would take the bus, the local bus, from my hometown up to, to Sac or up to San Francisco, and you know go castings and commercial infomercials and you know anything I could just to to try and get my foot in the door. But of course, I was really naive and young and uh, didn't didn't really know what I was doing at that at that stage of the game, but um. But I'd, you know, I'd walk around San Francisco and watch all the street performers and just be captivated by that. And then got into theater in, in high school and was active in the drama club in high school. And, and then I um, went on to major in, in theater in college. And I got my degree in theater from the University of Southern California and uh, 
landed my agents probably somewhere around my, my junior year and and it kind of uh it's been a domino effect since then. What well, what if anything attracts you to to a particular role? Do you, do you, do you see yourself being drawn more to being the bad guy, the good guy? Do you, do you like comedy stuff? Do you like the serious stuff? Do you, do you have anything you haven't done yet in terms of roles? Like, would you like to be a monster or something, a horror slasher thing? Uh, what what interests you? What 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 what's meaty to you that attracts you? Oh, I think any part that is so completely uh, foreign to me and what I know in my own life, uh, first and foremost, is what is what I look for. Um, sure, I love playing, you know, characters. Um, I, I'm open to, to playing all roles, whether the villains or the heroes. But um, I think, yeah, I think I, I look for challenging material, and I look for story uh, a lot of the times. You know, what what is the story about? Why am I interested in, in telling this story and being a part of this story? Because it takes a lot to, you know, I mean, it's a... It, the difficult side that you don't see is all the work that we do on our own to prepare for these roles. Um, and for me, it's, you know, it's, there's many different things that go into it. Everything from, you know, uh, reading the script a gajillion times and meditating into the material and, you know, various forms of, you know, imagination exercises and what have you. But I, I'd say, believe it or not, the most difficult times for me as an actor are when I'm playing a character that that I can really relate to or that I can, that I really feel like I know. Oh, I, I'm kind of like that myself. Or I, oh, I, so you, you see a little bit of yourself in the role. Yeah, you, you, you mentioned already, like, the, the Westerns growing up, maybe action-oriented films. Were there any actors that really inspired you? Somebody, when you were a kid, you were saying, like, oh, I got to do that. Oh, I mean, definitely. I'm a huge fan of, of Daniel Day-Lewis, uh, Meryl Streep, Kate Blanchett. Those are probably my, my top three actors. And I think that they are <laughs> they are freaks of nature because they can they can do stuff on screen and stage that I have never seen in in other actors. That's just that's just my opinion. They they truly lose themselves in their roles. I think Daniel Day-Lewis actually uh, went kind of crazy when he was uh, on stage um, on the West End in, in the UK because he had gotten so deeply involved in, in his character. That's like a whole other level of acting that just blows my mind. Daniel Day-Lewis is a great well, Those are great cho- great choices. And I, I, I was wondering, you mentioned about uh, playing playing a villain, but now I haven't seen General Hospital, but um, the, in the press material that I got, it says that you played um, a hardened criminal in General Hospital. Can yeah. you tell us a little bit about that role? Yeah, sure. Well, I had, I had auditioned for uh, Mark Tetchner, the casting director of General Hospital, about a year prior. Uh, he was casting a movie, and um, it just so happened I had booked another film right at the same time, and 
uh, even though I was Mark had wanted me for that film, I, I had a complex. So I had to go with my original commitment. But you know, he said he'd keep me in mind for for things down the line. And then obviously, being the, the casting director for General Hospital, he would keep me in mind there as well. And uh, he called my uh, my manager and told him about this part. And <laughs> first, my my manager and my agent said, Are "You sure you want to play this guy? I mean, he's pretty pretty rough around the edges. You know, he's." Mm. He's a criminal, he's a womanizer, he's a borderline rapist, you know, and and I just thought, well, you know, this is this is, I'm an actor and that's what that's what actors do. We you know, we, we play and we don't have, have biases towards the, the different uh characters. You know, you, it's something that's so com- like going back to your other question, it's something that's so completely foreign to me because I like to think of myself as a, a pretty nice, humble guy, you know who's got a lot of respect for women. And um and and this character Brandon is the exact opposite of that. So that that wow. that therein lies the challenge. So I said yes to the material and, and I went and did it and it was very uh it was very uh challenging but also gratifying at the same at the same time. And um I think I think I uh, I think I did um you know what I set out to accomplish on that on that show so I'm proud of that. Well, you you should be, and and um, I'm glad to see you taking risks and doing uh, different types of roles. And then also something that impresses me about you is the fact that you're uh, not just spending all your time acting. You're you're very much involved in causes like um, Survivor International and Amazon Watch. What? Why are you so deeply involved in those two causes? Yeah, it's called Survival International and, and Amazon Survivor Watch. Survival International, right. Sur- survival, as in like, you know, surviving in a while, survival. So it's, yeah. um, yeah, so I, I've been really interested in indigenous tribal cultures for a very long time. I've been fascinated with shamanism and ethnobotany and indigenous and spiritual philosophy. So I've traveled to various regions around the world, but primarily in, in South America and the, the Amazonian regions, and stayed with tribes and uh, learned from them, you know, about their ways uh, with the land and the animals and the plants and, and the plant medicines that they use. And while in these territories, uh, I've also witnessed firsthand the catastrophic effects of uh, various forms of globalization on the land that indigenous people occupy. Um, and I became very affected by that, very disturbed and upset that these injustices towards uh, in, indigenous people were happening. So I vowed to myself to, to, to do something about it. And I, I linked up with those two organizations that you mentioned um, who are on the on the front line of this type of work. And then in addition, I, I do a lot on my own, even without them. I was down last year in the Peruvian Amazon uh, shooting a, a short film documentary on the effects of oil exploitation on a on a tribe called the Harakambut people. Have you have you done any uh have you looked into anything with like homeopathic medicine uh that's common to indigenous people like in the United States? You you really caught my interest there because my my father was mostly Native American and I grew up around people that didn't always run immediately to a traditional modern western doctor and and actually found a lot of success with things that have been rejected by modern medicine. Have you had any experience in that? Yeah, a lot. Um, uh, uh, 
you know, there's one of the most fascinating things when when you're down there with these people is you take, you know, something that, you know, a, a disease or an ailment, you know, let's say something like um, diabetes or meningitis, you know, these people have knowledge of really obscure plants and roots that grow in, you know, areas of the jungle that you go and you see them extract these things and you go, how did you, A, know that that was underground there? And then B, how how do you know, how have you learned that it can cure this or remedy this or, or help aid with this? And they all tell you that this is this is wisdom that has been passed down for you know thousands and thousands of years, and um, I, I find that really really fascinating, and and also disturbing in the sense that that you know a lot of um, a lot of our you know medicine here and a lot of our government is you know not willing to to really acknowledge that yeah. or look at that. Well, one of the first miracle drugs, aspirin, uh, came from tree bark, and we learned that from from people who were just chewing tree bark. Exactly, exactly. You know, and these, you know, these people also use various uh, entheogenic substances that they they believe they can communicate with the you know with the divine and and with the the spirit realm and with their ancestors. And um, I've interviewed a few shamans who uh, work with medicines like, you know, ayahuasca being one of them. And, and they say that, you know, they ingest the, these these plants and when they go into that other realm of consciousness, they're able to communicate with with the spirit world who then gives them the knowledge of, you know, this this plant or this leaf when combined with, with this uh, leaf and boiled for a certain amount of time creates this remedy or, you know, and that's a lot of them told me that, that that's where they got that information. Well, I, thank I you. That's the, fascinating. I, yeah. I watched a, a, a little kid um, from the upper highlands in, in Ecuador. I watched him uh, probably six months old. I watched him, uh, a shaman perform a, a ceremony on him. The kid had extremely severe meningitis. And the next morning I remember waking up and, the kid, you know, laughing and, and rolling around and his mother saying he hasn't he hasn't been like that in, in ages. So, you know, stuff's working down there. Fascinating, just fascinating stuff. And you do, doing all these things, all these interests, causes and um, acting performances, and you still have time to do the drumming for a band called Outlaws and Astronauts. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, the Outlaws and Astronomers. We uh, oh, that's right. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. It's okay. We're we're not a uh, we're not really a household name. <laughs> but, <laughs> not yet. <laughs> not yet. My my good uh, good friend of mine, Jamie Roberts, is from the UK, and he's a, a fantastic singer songwriter. Um, he was playing with a band called The Days in uh, the UK, and they broke up, and he came out here, and I met him. We were working on a screenplay together, and I found out about his musical talents, and uh, I kind of told him that I used to play the drums a bit, um, nothing serious, and then we started jamming together, and we had so much fun doing it that we decided to, to bring on some other members. We got two of our other really good buddies who play instruments, and next thing you know, we were playing, and 
uh, writing songs together, and then we started to play out uh, a bit here in, in Los Angeles locally. And I think, you know, more than anything, it's uh, it's a great creative outlet for for all of us that uh, you know we we feel like we can go to to really just let loose, you know. And the name actually is funny. The name comes from uh, Jamie was traveling. Um, in, in New Mexico, and I think he came across an old cowboy somewhere uh, on, on his on his horse, and they were talking, and the guy kind of looked out at the horizon, and he said, yeah, son, you know, I'll tell you, the only thing out here in this country are outlaws and astronomers. Astronomers. <laughs> <And we just, laughs> when I thought it was astronauts. I like astronomers <laughs> better, <laughs> outlaws yeah. and astronomers. Well, you'll have to keep us posted about uh, about yeah, that and all of your other all of your other projects. I I can't believe that that it's almost time uh, to wrap up the show. Uh, you've just made the time go by so fast, uh, Ross. It's it's been a real treat having you on our show. Do you have any upcoming projects that you'd like to mention before you go? Well, I'm really excited. I'm uh, I'm starting a new film here on Monday. Actually, I'm coming off wow. the heels of of Soul Surfer just being released and uh, using that excitement to go right into my next project here. It's an independent film, uh, one that uh, I think has got a great story, and I'm excited to, to get going on. But they won't let me disclose uh, information on it just yet. You know how they can be sometimes. So uh, the, there is exciting stuff on the horizon, though. So I'm, I'm well, with your black well, if you start do, If you start doing any fusion jazz, let me know, and make sure you know I get a cut of one of your demos. <laughs> you got it. You got it, Jazz. Well, I just have enjoyed talking with you, you so much, uh, Ross, and I I hope you'll come back uh, in the future. Will you Will you do that when you're when you have your, your new movie in the can? Very good. To. We'll We'll look forward to that. So bye for now. All right. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks, Ross. We've enjoyed it, uh, and we're we're looking forward to having you back. Okay, guys. Talk to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, it's time to wrap things up now with a big shout-out to the folks at Blog Talk Radio for their support. And with special thanks to Ross, Jazz, and Demos. Thanks also to our chatters and other listeners for tuning in, and we hope everyone enjoyed today's show. Please come back next time when award-winning actress Joan Benedict Steiger returns to tell us about her new film, Dead Border which I think is a horror flick. In the meantime, check out our reviews at realtalkreviews.com. That's R-E-E-L, realtalkreviews.com. That's all for now, folks. So here's Kenny Loggins to take us out with Footloose.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.